0: please come up and say hi. If you're in Newburgh, get to their house on Wednesday nights. Um, They have dinner there and uh, just have a time of relationally getting to know one another. So I just wanted to pray for you guys and say thank you for all of you guys' hard work. Um, These guys are here setting up Tearing Down and setting up coffee and donuts for all of you to enjoy, and so uh, they're just servants at our church, and I just want to pray for them and thank them for doing ministry alongside them. Would you guys pray with me? God, thanks so much just for Uh, Andrew and Leanna and the gift that they are to this church. We uh, thank you that they're leading a community in Newburgh, and I pray that uh, anybody here who's from Newburgh would just jump into their lives and uh, God really be shepherded by them. Lord, at Colossae, we share uh, the responsibility of pastoral ministry, and we know that one person, one leader can't do it. So I'm thankful that Andrew and Leanna are a part of that team to love and shepherd people in this church more and more to be like you. So God, thanks for them today. And pray that you would bless them and encourage them. And just thanks for the opportunity to get to know them a little bit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. See, you said nothing, Leanna. You feel? You had a speech prepared? That's okay. That's okay. Next time. It's not too late. It's like the whole wedding toast thing. You could still do it. You could do it. There's time. But hey, we're in our series uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And how we start every week is kind of by putting this big picture outline up. Because at the end of the day, many of us know the Bible in details, but we can forget the overarching story of what's going on. So this week we are still in the coming Messiah section. We're going to be in this section, I think, until uh, Christmas Eve, and then we'll be moving into the second section up there. But each section is broken down, the coming Messiah, Messianic ministry, journey to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem itself. Uh, The first section really anchors uh, Jesus to the Old Testament. It's The whole point of that section is to be reminded of again and again, how these Old Testament prophecies and wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit points us back to who Jesus is. And then it really is about the people having this expectation for Messiah, expectation for the Christ to come and make himself known. And so the black bar is, again, the theme of the Gospel of Luke, where when Jesus interacts with people, he's about bringing release and freedom to their lives. And that has a socioeconomic bent, uh, as well. They lived in a society that had a very evil uh, social system where people were valued because of who they are and devalued because of who they weren't. And so when Jesus comes in, he doesn't only save people from their sins individually, but he brings a community back to the way it's supposed to be underneath the kingdom of God. So as we start today, I do want to ask you a question. I want you to take a moment and think of a time in your life where you were anxiously longing for something. Uh, could be at Christmas time where you know somebody's getting you that gift but you just are longing to see it underneath the Christmas tree. Uh, It could be for you George Fox students that the semester is ending next week, right? Or is it already done? Next week, see? You guys are anticipating and longing for next week to come and then all your studies are done. Or it could be that you had that job interview and you thought you nailed it and you're just waiting to hear back from the, uh, the interviewer that said, hey, did I get the job or not? But There's points and times in our lives when we are waiting and anxiously longing for something to happen. For me, uh, probably the time where I felt this the most was uh, about eight years ago in December, actually, about now, in 2008. So many of you guys know my wife, Nadia. If you don't, uh, she's the short, pretty one in the uh, two- or three-year-old room. And uh, she left to go on a trip to Ecuador. So we went to a small Bible college. Uh, down in Southern California, and one of her requirements was to do a cross-cultural study or a semester abroad, and she chose to go to Ecuador for the semester. And my lonely, broken heart was left at the airport because not only we were dating, we were engaged. So uh, to send my fiancé on a plane for three months, and she arrived 30 days before we got married. So that was literally three months. I, I have five or six buddies back home that when I dropped her off at LAX, legitimately have saved a voicemail of me doing the ugly cry to them saying, bro, she's gone. Like, and I literally had one guy at our wedding rehearsal say, hey, Steve, do you remember this? It opens up his phone and hits it. And it was embarrassing, but great. But I don't think I have ever like longed for something more than for Nadia to come back home. Like, there was just that sense in my heart that, like, as much as, like, we needed to fulfill this, I did not want her to go overseas for three months, especially when we were engaged. Um, But when she got off that plane and I saw her after three months, it was just like my heart was settled. I finally felt like I could breathe again because I'm with my fiancé. You see, there's times of, of, of periodic longing and waiting that isn't foreign to the people of God. We are historically in the season of Advent, the third week, where we are awaiting and longing for Jesus to show up on the scene. Um, this is a time where we posture ourselves and remember that there was once a time where people waited thousands of years for this Messiah to show up. And in this morning's text, we're going to continue... Uh, following Mary and Joseph, um, as they're now parents to newborn Jesus. Um, And they'll run into two characters today who are longing for God to do something. So open your Bibles. We're going to be in uh, Luke 2. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on your screen. Or if you're cool and techie and have a fake Bible on your phone, feel free. Uh, Verse 22, it says this, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what the law of the Lord said, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So after the amazing birth story of Jesus we had last week, we're jumping into newborn Jesus. We're 40 days in roughly to his birth. And so you see now Mary and Joseph traveling from Bethlehem back to the temple in Jerusalem. And in that temple, they're coming for two primary reasons. The first is that they're going to present the baby, uh, Jesus, to the Lord. So back in Exodus, one of the first commandments that God gave his people after they left Egypt was consecrate your firstborn child as holy unto me, that he's going to be used for me. And so also uh, in Leviticus 12, I know that you guys love reading Leviticus, but Leviticus 12, uh, there's uh, a purification ceremony law Once you had a child, you were considered unclean for a certain period of time in that culture. If it was a boy, it was 33 days. If it was a female, it was 66 days. And so after 33 days, um, Mary and Joseph are going to the temple. And what we see from this verse is two primary things about Mary and Joseph. They lived in obedience to the law. So unlike many in Israel, Mary and Joseph lived in obedience to what God wanted for them. And and really, it's because in light of all that God had done for them, oftentimes we can look at the obedience of people in Scripture and just think they're trying to follow a set of rules and regulations in order to please God or be with God. But yet, these guys just genuinely loved God because God had done miraculous things in their lives, and so they wanted to follow in response. But secondly, we find out that they were poor. Um, Leviticus 12 talks about those two different types of offerings that you would bring to a purification ceremony. If you were rich, you'd bring a lamb. If you were poor... You would bring turtle doves or pigeons. And so that's where we can learn a little bit about Mary and Joseph. But in light of these two occurrences, the main focus is on Mary's purification ceremony. You can, you know, consecrate your child kind of wherever you go. But you need to go to a temple or to a tabernacle in order to have this purification ceremony done. But what's interesting is that the story is going to get quickly hijacked. It's no longer going to be about Mary going to the temple. It's going to be about the protagonist, the person who's moving the plot forward, which is Jesus. And so as Mary and Joseph live out their obedience to God in spite of their poverty, they enter the temple and they meet a man named Simeon. So let's read on, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Luke introduces us to the first character in this story who has a longing and who's waiting on God. His name's Simeon. So uh, Luke describes him as being righteous and he's devout. Um, He's also incredibly old. He's been there for a long time, but his longings are what's highlighted in this text. His longings are for the consolation of Israel. So think about when you go and console a friend who's been through a loss or is in some sort of pain. Your goal is to bring joy and peace to their lives because they're in need of it. So for him, he's really longing for the Messiah to come and bring the consolation, the comfort that Israel needed. So that's what he's longing for. That's what he's waiting for. And Luke also highlights that the Holy Spirit was upon him. So as we read this, we've been reading through the Gospel of Luke. Whenever we see the Holy Spirit in action, we should be expecting something from this character. We should be seeing him do something. And lo and behold, he's actually going to be saying some things here in a bit. But he's longing for the Messiah. And God actually promised, says, hey, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah with your very own eyes. So there's this promise. He's, he's banking on this. I mean, talk about anticipation. Forget about, like, waiting for that Christmas gift you wanted, like, This is anticipation for the Messiah to come and turn everything that's evil around. He's longing for that. He's imagining when Israel can have the rest for their souls. He's imagining when the injustices that happen towards God's people will be ended. Uh, He's imagining that time of shalom, right? Where the peace of God was going to come and make all things right. The idea of shalom is you have the idea of the lion laying down with the lamb, the predator and the prey living life together as it was meant to be in the beginning. But since we're getting acquainted with how Luke is writing this, we're going to expect to hear something from Simeon. And this is what he says, under the presence of the Holy Spirit. Check this out, verse 27. And he came in the temple, uh, sorry, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child to Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. For me, as I I see this text, I imagine this like that kid waiting for something on Christmas morning, right? Like when you're a kid, you're just waiting for that present. I just imagine Simeon just sitting down, legs crossed, biting his teeth, scanning across the temple saying, okay, where's this kid? I got to find this kid. God made a promise to me. I need to figure out where he is. So imagine he's sitting looking out across the crowd like a Black Friday crowd. The temple was packed all the time. Life happened at the temple. So he's scanning. He's trying to find it. And then he sees the baby. He sees baby Jesus. And he runs through the crowd. And he grabs him. Now, there's a strange series of events that are going to happen in this text. And, and for, for Mary and Joseph, they're kind of used to strange events happening, right? couple weeks ago, you have angels showing up announcing that, hey, you're a virgin. You're going to have a baby. That's kind of strange. Um, You have, you know, an old lady like Elizabeth who can't have children. Now, all of a sudden, she's pregnant with child and she's going to bring forth a child. Her dishonor is going to become honor in her society. Things are going to change. So Mary and Joseph aren't really freaked out in this time because there's a lot of strange events happening. But this is how Luke introduces Simeon. He's not priest Simeon. He's not scribe Simeon. He's just, let's just call him affectionately old man Simeon, okay? He shows up, and he takes the baby out of Mary's arms and starts praising God. Now, you with kids, have you ever had an experience with a perfect stranger when it comes to something with your kid? Like in a weird moment. Nadia and I were leaving the doctor when she was pregnant with Paisley, and she saw um, a couple of friends that I knew and said, Hey, don't you know those people? And turns out it was a high school buddy of mine and his mom that we had never met. So we just kind of politely walk over and introduce ourselves, and I start reminiscing with my high school buddy. And that leaves Nadia prey to the mom. So here's what happens. So I leave, I, essentially, I leave the conversation and let Nadia have this conversation with this lady. And she is sweet and incredibly strange at the same exact time. Uh, So she's walking up and just kind of looking like going to give a hug. Uh, And at the last second, this lady literally drops down in squat position, grabs her tummy, and kisses it. She has never met this woman before, ever. Never happened. And things just got awkward quick, okay? Um, There's rules when you engage with a pregnant woman. You say... uh, Congratulations! How exciting! Um, Encourage her. You look great. You look healthy. Things look... You're you're fine. You don't squat and kiss her belly. You don't do that. And that's kind of off-limits, but that's what happened. I can imagine that this was a similar situation for Mary and Joseph, where this random dude just comes up and grabs the baby out of her arms, but he says these incredible things about who Jesus is. He prophesies about this baby. He says his longings have been fulfilled in this baby. What he was trusting for actually came true. He said he could die in peace. He looks at this baby boy who's literally done nothing except be born, which still means he's done nothing. Mama did all the work. He's just there. And he doesn't say he's got cute dimples and his hair looks good. He doesn't comment on what a beautiful baby boy Jesus is he looks at the baby and he says, this is the salvation of the world that has come. It's in the form of a baby. And he says that this, this hope is not just for Israel. This hope is universal. This hope is for really all humanity is going to be wrapped up in this baby boy. Uh, says so salvation is really, it's coming to the Gentiles. There's light for the Gentiles. This, it, this means that Jesus isn't ethnocentric. He's not just about one race and one people. In fact, the term for Gentile is the Greek word ethnos, which is for ethnic people groups. So the whole point is that Jesus has come not just for the Jews, but for all people to know who he is. And then it's glory for Israel. All of the hope and promises that Israel's been waiting for, it's all wrapped up in this 45-day-old infant boy. And salvation has come. So let's see how Mary and Joseph respond to old man Simeon, okay? Uh, And his father and mother marveled at what was said to him. And Simeon blessed him and said to his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and for the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. So Mary and Joseph are in awe and wonder again that that Simeon has more to say. It's not just about who this baby is and the salvation he's going to bring but there's more. There's more to this story. That this baby, who's done nothing, is going to divide people. This baby is going to come and essentially in Luke 8, where it says that you have the, the mother-in-law is going to be separated from her father-in-law and the brother will go against mother because Jesus is going to come and reveal the true hearts of people. Like Hebrews says, the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. The purpose of the word of God is to do spiritual surgery on our hearts and let us know where our heart's desires is. It's the whole point of the scriptures, is to reveal who God is, and in light of who we are, we can then respond to it. In fact, that's what Jesus' ministry is going to be. As he engages lost people, as he engages those who are broken, hurting, needy, he is going to divide people. And it's actually going to hurt Mary too. It's kind of a foresight of what's going to come in the crucifixion where you see Mary breaking over her son being murdered. And all of this is happening when he's a little baby boy. But Simeon's promise came true, came to fruition. What God promised to him, he saw this Messiah. And then Luke introduced us to another person who's longing for Jesus. Uh, It's Anna in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So, Anna is a prophetess. She's a woman who speaks on behalf of God much like an Old Testament prophet would. She's the mouthpiece. She's about to say some things. And she has a reputation She's the daughter of Phanuel, and she's from the tribe of Asher, one of the tribes of Israel. So she's got a history of being faithful to who God is. And she's quite old as well. She's 84, and she's incredibly devoted. She's much like Simeon in that regard. And she's devoted because she literally spends day and night in the temple fasting and praying. So as the story turns out, um, Anna is longing for this Jesus as well. And, And Anna's longings aren't by her own. At the end of the verse, it says that she actually spoke to all who were longing for the redemption that was going to come to Israel. So then let's get back to Mary and Joseph. And here's what they said in response to to Anna. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned back to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon them. So after all their time at the temple, after they ran into Simeon and after they ran into Anna, they packed up their bags and they went back to Podunk, Nazareth, 70 miles north of Jerusalem. And here's what's important. You have one of two very famous verses in Luke talking about the growth of Jesus. And you see him growing and he's becoming strong and filled with wisdom. And most importantly, he says this about Jesus, that the favor of God was upon him. The last person who God said the favor of God was upon was Mary when Jesus was inside of her. And so now the favor that was upon Mary is now also upon Jesus. And this is the text of Jesus being presented at the temple. So as as we can see throughout this whole text, it's about longings. It's about people longing for this Messiah to come. We see longings in Mary and Joseph very subtly. It's not explicitly said in the text, but it's there. In light of all that God had done for them, they wanted to live out their obedience because they longed to be faithful to who God was in their lives. That's what they were after. They wanted to obey him. We see uh, explicit longings in the text from Simeon and from Anna. They wanted this Messiah to come because it was going to bring comfort to people who were suffering. They wanted this Messiah to come so that Israel could be restored to what it was supposed to be. And here's what's crazy. Their longings were actually fulfilled. But it was fulfilled in a baby boy who had done nothing yet. This boy was going to be the savior of the world to make all things right and new. So I want to ask you a question about the question I asked you when we started. To think of a time when you were in longing for someone or something. And I want to ask you a deeper questions. What are the longings of your life? Not just like what are the moments that you can remember longing for someone or something, but like what are the things that drive you? What are the desires that overrule your heart? What are you after in this world? Where is your devotion and your energy going? And what longings are captivating your heart? Now, those longings and desires that you have for your life, those overarching things that guide your decisions, those things that you have in your mind and heart right now, I want to ask you this question. Do your longings align with God's desires? Do your longings align with God's desires? Because here's what God longs for. Here's what God desires, and here's what He is working towards. He's working toward making his son, Jesus, be known. Because through Jesus, there's relationship to God again. And only through Jesus is there relationship to God again. So as I asked that question of my own life this week, and preparing for this and even asking this question again last night, when I was thinking about for my own life, like what do I long for? What are those things that drive me? What are the passions that, that really drive me to be who I am? I think first, like, I long to love my wife Nadia with everything I am. Like, I long to, for the rest of my life, love one woman well. I-, I long to see my kids come to faith in who Jesus is for themselves and that they would become disciples of his. You parents can relate to this. I can't force my kid to love Jesus. It's not my job. And I, for for me, God didn't force my hand for me to love him. He changed my heart. I was sitting on the couch with Nadia last night and I asked her this question, like isn't it crazy that God has changed our hearts? Like isn't it just crazy that that I have a longing for God when I didn't used to? Like that's a work of the spirit in my own life and in Nadia's life, but for me what I long for, I long to lead a church where every person can see themselves as the missionary that God has called them to be. I long to see that for each and every one of us that we feel equipped And ready to be about making Jesus known in this culture. Not in a rude, weird, awkward, arrogant way. But in a humble, kind, sweet way. That people wouldn't be turned off to the message of who Jesus was because of me. I I long to lead a movement of disciples that we can plant more churches. Like I hope that Colossae Sherwood grows to a point where we go, we got to plant another church. Because there's more people meeting Jesus. That's what I long for. But do you know what didn't come up in my head? What didn't come up in my head is that I just longed for Jesus. That didn't come up in my head. Here's the deal. I say this all the time. The scriptures are clear that we are supposed to confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. I have nothing to hide from you as your pastor, so I'll confess some of my sin to you so that way you can actually feel comfortable confessing sin to one another. Is that cool? Can we do that? We can do that in church? Okay. I can honestly have days where I don't long for Jesus. I can have days where I long for what Jesus does or what Jesus is after in this world. But there are totally days where I don't long for Jesus himself. You see, the problem for a doer like myself, I take personality tests and they're like, you're a doer, you want to get things done. The problem is I want to see God move. I want to see God miraculously change people's hearts like he changed mine. I I want to see him heal people. I want to see him do the things he wants to do in this world. But it leaves me in this hole that I don't long for Jesus alone. Here's what's beautiful. The Spirit of God is in my life and in your life to convict us of when we sin against God, but to comfort us and remind us that there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of change that can take place. So for me in my life, I I see this as God's Holy Spirit work in my life to convict me to say, Steve, it shouldn't just be about what I'm doing. It should be about who I am in your life. And for us, our deepest longings are going to be fulfilled when they're fulfilled in Jesus alone. I think of Psalm 81, where, where God is crying out to his people, saying, why won't you listen to me? Why won't you listen to me? And he says this line, and it's stuck with me for years. He says, I am the Lord God who have brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I'll fill it. Like, literally, God is telling his people, stop searching for other places. Stop searching for other things to fill you. I'm here to fill you. And yet, oftentimes, you and I believe that when God says, open wide your mouth, I'll fill it, he's not going to pour a pitcher of his love. He's going to give us a droplet of it. And that we're just going to still be in want or in need. You see, Simeon and Anna in this text, they longed for the Messiah to come. But they didn't long for the Messiah just for the benefits of the Messiah. They longed for him. And when they longed for him, they were then able to enjoy the effects of what he was going to do. If we are honest, and in church we're not honest because we have to put on a good face and have to say things are good. If we're honest, many of you are in the same boat that I am. Where we long for Jesus to do things for us, but we don't long for Jesus Himself. You want a killer marriage, so you pray that you just have a killer marriage, just a great one. That you love each other for years and years and years. So you pray for that. You want incredible kids who succeed. Who not succeed? That's excel and succeed together. We're going to call it success. Who exceed and excel? It's what you want. You pray for that. It could be a software program issue. It could be. But that's what you want. That's what you long for. And we pray for those things. Like, you want financial security. So then we pray for God's blessings, quote-unquote. You want these things and I want these things. But how much do you and I long for him? How much do you and I long for who he is? The joy for the believer is that we get Jesus. And everything else is gravy. Everything else is. Paul said it this way, I count everything as lost for the sake of knowing Christ. It's not just about having a great marriage. It's about having Jesus in the center of that marriage. It's not about having great kids. Because here's the deal, your kids will fail you. It's about having kids where Jesus is at the center of that. It's not about financial stability, where there's thousands in the savings account or negatives. It's about Jesus being in the midst of all of that. And here's the beauty of the gospel message. You and I don't need to work harder to change to love Jesus more. If you and I are constantly working harder to trying to love Jesus more, we're not living in the gospel rhythms that are there. God is ready to move you from where you are at currently to where he wants you to be. And he is going to accomplish that in you. We don't need to be motivated by guilt or the I should be doing something. Or the shame, how could I have done something? God is at work in us. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that we would long for the things of Jesus and who he is. And let's cooperate with the Holy Spirit, right? We have, we, here's the thing. When we think that God is in control of our growth in Christ, he totally is. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to engage that too. We can't just pray and expect things to change. We need to pray and then respond by changing our habits. That's a part of of being a Christian is to grow in the practices of Jesus that you would long for him and him alone. So what are some ways that you and I can cooperate with the Holy Spirit to actually long for who he is? I think first is genuinely, and I don't say this tritely. We say this all the time in the church. I genuinely mean this. We read the Bible. Like when 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 I was reading Deuteronomy, there's just there was stuff in Deuteronomy that was popping out to me that I hadn't seen for years, but it's because I chose to open up the Bible and read it. Did I feel like opening up the Bible? No. Okay, so we're all in the same boat here. Okay, and I read Deuteronomy, and God was faithful to remind me of who He was. It was just a cool moment to open the scriptures and realize that this has been revealed to us to know who he is. And yet so many of us, including myself, just don't ever crack it open. Again, we say this all the time in the church. And again, it's a practice in the church that helps us long for Jesus, but it's prayer. It's genuinely taking time to talk to God, to listen to God, to, to receive from him. That's, that's what prayer is. Is just allowing yourself time to connect to who He is so that you're longing for Him. You have opportunities to long for Him. Here's one for me that's huge. Now, you may have some disciplines that you actually really sense the Lord in. Like, you can go out for a walk and be amongst Oregon Forests and be like, God is here. I go out there and I want to hate myself. So that's not, like, that's cool for you. But for me, singing is one of the ways that I just connect with God. Like, when I sing... To God, there's this emotional connection that I have with him and I long for him more. And I'm longing for what he wants and what he's after. And this is just the start. So the first question is, do your longings align with God's longings where you and the rest of the world would know who Jesus is? And then the second question for us is, with those longings, do we then live in obedience to that? I ask this question because it unfolds in the text. What we long for is what's going to change us. You are not as cool and hip and awesome and trendy as you think you are, that you are not influenced by what you do. We're all influenced by it. And see, if God desires for the world to be in relationship to him through Jesus, and we get the opportunity to live that out in obedience Here's the question, what if you living your life in obedience is actually going to bring the satisfaction that others are longing for? We see this in the text, right? I'm pretty sure Mary and Joseph weren't heading into the temple today going, cool, I'm ready to satisfy some people's longings. But they walked in the temple with baby Jesus, being obedient to who God was, and sure enough, you have Simeon and Anna who were longing for this to happen. And it happened. And it happened because God was in control and orchestrated all of that. But Mary and Joseph made a choice too. To walk into the joy that Jesus had before them that day. You see, we live in a world that constantly longs for something. The world longs to see injustice end. I mean, there are so many social causes that you can be a part of today. It's crazy. They long to see the injustices and evil of this world come to an end. This world longs for satisfaction in things. That's why there's so many issues with sex and pornography, so many issues in marriages, so many issues with finances, so many issues with power and authority structures in this world. Because they long for satisfaction and they're searching for it in the wrong places. The world longs for healthy, life-giving relationships, not relationships that are gossiped about and stabbed behind your back and where you just hurt each other so then what if we as god's people get the opportunity who through our obedience we get to show them that they're actually not longing for something but they're longing for someone That they're actually longing for jesus let's think about the next few weeks for you and for me okay we're going back to work we're seeing family around the holidays you have children you may be going to schools or concerts or plays that are going to be going on during this time what if our mindset shifts what if as we are then satisfied in who jesus is we can then enter into these places where people are longing for him and don't see it and we then get the opportunity to display who he is to them these are those questions do we have longings that align with what God is after? And with these longings, do we then live in obedience? I want you to hear this, guys. Hear it in grace. This is the Spirit of God at work in your life right now. It's not about what you should have done or what you could have done. It's about what Jesus is going to do in you. And my hope and prayer for our church during this time historically of longing for Jesus is that we actually long for Jesus and not just for what he brings. So Cale's going to come and, and lead us in worship. Um, we have uh, communion up in the front. If you're a Christian and you love Jesus, please come down and take up and enjoy the reminder that this is our Savior's broken body and blood for you. And as well, I'm just uh, I'm just thankful for what God is doing in us and among us. And again, it's about what God is doing in us and among us. That is exciting. So let me pray for us. And then I want to invite you to give. If this is your church, feel free to give freely, give generously as God has then given to you. Um, but yeah, we're excited to be here and glad that we get the opportunity to sing to Jesus now. So let's pray. God, thanks that we get to gather today. Thanks that... Um, This life is about you and what you want from us. And what you want from us is our hearts. You want us to long for you. So God, like we see Simeon and Anna do, how they just long for you and for what you bring. May we be those people who long for you. Jesus, help us to do that. Help us to shift our habits to long for you, to enjoy you, to allow our hearts to worship you. God, even now as we sing, would you help our hearts? connect with you and enjoy you. God, may we be a people who don't just love you for what you do, but love you for who you are. It's Jesus' name.